Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Robert. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, we're starting a new series today. Hey. Amen. Um, for a number of weeks, we've been having just some topical messages. Kind of really from the beginning of the year, we had some kind of topical messages, kind of some mini-series. Um, we have adjusted things slightly in that um, the intended series that we were going to do, we've kind of pushed back and um, we've brought a series that we were going to do in the future forward and probably expect to hear from me that is some of you um, who have historically had opportunity to share. Um, I'm going to be hollering at you. And also, uh, over the course of the summer, which hopefully this series will take us up to, um, we'll also probably go back to some topical messages just over the course of August because t people tend to be away and so on. And then hopefully um, we'll come back in September and um, probably start a another series at that point. So, welcome, especially if you're joining us for the first time. Our series is going to be in an epistle. And the series is called Authentic Joy. Authentic Joy. Can you guess which one of the epistles this might be related to? Well, <laughs> I'm like I never heard that. No, not really. Um, amen. You're absolutely right, my brother. Good guess. Um, because that book particularly speaks quite beautifully and wonderfully to this issue, this topic, this theme of joy. Um, before we get there... Um, Skip Heitzig, who's a pastor of, of a Calvary Chapel, quite a, a, a large Calvary Chapel in the States, he says, with regards to joy, because remember, we're not just talking about joy, we're talking about what kind of joy? Authentic joy. And I'm saying, hopefully, just those two words should speak volumes. Skip Heitzig, he says, one of the infallible signs of the presence of God is joy. It is an unmistakable badge of divine ownership. And he's got a big smile on his face as well. He also says, he says, one day a little boy was asked this question. What difference has Jesus Christ made to your life? What difference has Jesus made to your life? And the little boy said, well, he said, I feel better now when I feel bad than when I used to when I felt good. Shall I say it again? He said, I feel better now when I feel bad than when I used to when I felt good. It's like saying the worst thing that God gives me is better than the, the best thing that the world can give. The joy of the Lord. Shall we, shall we pray before we get started? Father, I think about Nehemiah <clears throat> and a time when the people were really discouraged, yet they were in the process of a massive building project, even like we are currently. And during that time of discouragement, Nehemiah said to the people, you know what? The joy of the Lord is your strength. And Father, we know that happiness and joy are two different things. Please, would you help us over the course of this next 14 weeks? to know the difference between the two. And it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. So we're starting this new series, as Denzel said, in Philippians. Um, but we won't be starting today in Philippians, although we will be starting in Philippi. If you like... <clears throat> Acts chapter 16 is the place where this church, that is the church in Philippi, the church that the letter that we're going to look at was written to, right? we're going we're gonna to have a look at where it first started. Now, the main character in our story, I'm not going to read it. Helpfully, Bertram, Pastor Bertram actually read a little section of what we're going to look at. I won't read it because it's 40 verses, and um, it would take up too much time. So our main character in the story, we're going to walk through it, so don't worry. Our main character is Paul. And <clears throat> Paul was originally called what? Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And if you know anything about Saul, then you know that 
he wasn't necessarily the greatest advert of joy, at least at that time. He was an exacting, legalistic, narrow-minded Pharisee, right? Listen to Philippians um, chapter 3, which at some point, hopefully, we will, we will get to. I hope it's going to come up. Philippians 3, um, starting at verse 5. Paul says of himself, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Like, not only was I a serious guy, my parents were serious people. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. Oy. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. Now, you're not going to do that necessarily with joy or with a smile on your face unless you're really twisted, right? And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Like I said, it doesn't sound like a lot of room for joy. If anything, there's a lot of judgment in there. There's probably a lot of jostling, you know what I'm saying, and jabbing, you know what I'm saying, and self-justification. We'll come back to that in a few weeks' time, right? Because that's chapter 3. We ain't even started chapter 1 yet. <clears throat> but that was Saul. But thankfully, Saul became Paul. And he was converted back in Acts chapter 9, wasn't he? And since then, he's been serving alongside um, a man called Barnabas as one of the leaders of a, a missional, multicultural church in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas, <clears throat> it's funny because initially when Paul first got saved, nobody really kind of was believing or trusting. Like, like, imagine Paul coming to town to, to, to preach the quote-unquote gospel, you know what I'm saying? And you'd be like, wait a minute, I swear you're the brother that murdered, like, you know what I'm saying, a couple of my family members like a year ago. Like, you. And the thing is, people really struggle to trust Paul. So you know what happened? A brother called Barnabas started to back it for him. And he'd go to different places. He'd be like, nah, man, Paul's good. Like, he used to be Saul, but he's had his name changed to Paul. He's good. You know what I'm saying? And everyone knew Barnabas, and they trusted Barnabas. And you know what they call Barnabas? Um, I think his name means son of encouragement. You know what I'm saying? And he'd be the brother that would always be not only encouraging to the individual, but even to others, especially as it relates to the individual, Barnabas. And initially, it was Barnabas and Saul. And I'm saying Barnabas and Saul, as you read through the book of Acts. And then, and then there's a particular point in time where rather than Barnabas and Saul, it becomes Paul and Barnabas. And there's a little bit of a role change as Saul, as Paul comes into, you know what I'm saying, the, 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 the full um, flight of the ministry that has called him to. And Paul begins to take that senior if you like, role. And, um, and they're missionaries, they're evangelists, they're sent out in Acts chapter 13, you know what I'm saying, to, 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 to be apostles who would go um, to, to, to preach the gospel and, and end up planting churches. And they've incidentally already been on one missionary journey and traveled and gone out from Antioch, the church, and done kind of like a little sweeping and come all the way back. And they, in, incidentally, they, the first place they went to was Barnabas's home country, which was Cyprus. And it makes sense that they would go there first because, I don't know, Barnabas is, you know what I'm saying, he's wanting to reach out to his people. And they go to this island of Cyprus and then they go up through um, Asia Minor and then they virtually come back to the church in Antioch. You know what I'm saying? Like, Paul and Barnabas had a church and the church was in Antioch. That was their home church from which they left. So they've done one missionary journey, come back and um, <clears throat> they're in the process of going back out to go visit these other churches, and I'll come to that. I've got two points today, and with regards to the both of them, and particularly Paul, I want to talk about the fact that he was, one, committed to mission, and two, he was also committed to the gospel. Committed to mission and the gospel. So first of all, our first point, committed to mission. Now, when I said that Paul and Barnabas were rolling together, they were up until a point. Because in Acts chapter 15, a little bit of drama entered in. So they were, they were, they were on mission, and they had previously taken um, a, a young man with them whose name was, anybody know? Mark, or Jean-Marc, you know what I'm saying, who actually wrote the gospel of Mark. Um, 
but before he wrote the gospel, he was kind of, um, he was kind of, I was going to say caught slipping. He wasn't caught slipping. He was caught, he was caught missing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They were supposed to go on a trip and where's, where's my man? Can't find him. That happened previously. And so Barnabas is like, okay, let's do this thing. And John Mark's here. Paul's like, no, I'm not, I can't work with that guy. He, he, he left us. He abdicated his responsibilities. You know what I'm saying? Nah. And, Barn and him and Barnabas have what, they call, what the Bible says is a very sharp dispute. And they kind of disagree over this issue of Mark. And the question comes up in the text, like, not in the text, but the question comes up on the back of the text, which is, which one was right? Who do you think was right? Do you think Paul was right or do you think Barnabas was right? Do you think Paul was right not to take Jean-Marc or do you think Barnabas was right to take him? What do you think? The man said yes. <laughs> I like that answer. And, and, and Bertram's right. They're both right in the sense that if you think about and this is how I was able to kind of um, consolidate it. If you think about it, <clears throat> both are committed to people, right? And both are committed to mission. That's why they were working together in the way they were, right? But notice Barnabas is inclined more to people than the mission, although he's committed to mission. And Paul's, sorry, Barnabas. Barnabas is committed more to people than the mission, although he's committed to both. And Paul is committed to the mission as well as people. You know what I'm saying? And so if you like, one emphasizes the mission, the other emphasizes the people. Which one is right? Both of them. Just different emphasis. And what happens is Barnabas goes off with Jean-Marc, because they don't reconcile it. Barnabas goes off with Jean-Marc, and then Paul goes off with who? Silas. Goes off with Silas. And Paul and Silas, if you like, the, the, the camera that's following them, in a sense, is kind of really Luke writing, right? Peels off of Barnabas and Mark, and then begins to focus on Paul and Silas. And that's what we continue <clears throat> to see. And they journey together on this particular missions trip. And they come across a, a disciple whose name is Timothy. You see that in the beginning of our section of Acts 16. And um, we'll see Timothy come up again when we pick up next week in Philippians chapter 1. Now, on this second missionary journey, Paul didn't end up going where he originally anticipated, like before they knew where they were going. And he was like, okay, well, let's just go back and do that same thing, do that same journey. And what we'll do is we'll go and visit the churches and visit the places um, that we originally visited and, and the churches that we planted, right? But what happens is the Lord readjusts Paul's plans and he redirects the mission. Do you remember why? Well, Paul one night gets his vision of a man from where? So we've done the book of Acts a number of years ago. Um, it's, it might not be fresh in your mind unless you've read it recently. Um, he sees a vision of a man from a place called Macedonia. And in the vision, the man from Macedonia is pleading and he's saying, Paul, come to Macedonia. And Paul's like, but, but, but the plan wasn't to go there, but come, come to Macedonia in this vision. And so in Acts chapter 16, <clears throat> it says, um, and they went um, through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. All of this is in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, right, in Turkey. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, <clears throat> but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. It was like the Lord was already showing them i got another plan. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, and when Paul had seen the vision immediately, he sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they arrive at a place called Neapolis, which is a port um, and, and, and then they travel to Philippi, which is a Roman colony in northern Greece. It's funny because we've been kind of thinking and trying to plan a little holiday breakaway, um, me, Helen, and the boys, um, just for a week. And I've never been to Greece. And I thought, you know what, Greece would be a nice place. And, um, you know, one of the things when you're kind of put planning and thinking about going away on a holiday, you think about where, where you're going to stay, right, like a hotel. 
Well, Paul, on his travels, he ain't thinking about what hotel he's going to stay in. For Paul, very often, it's which prison am I, am I going to be staying in? Very different, you know what I'm saying, ministries, mine and Paul's. <laughs> Paul goes to Greece as a preacher, but ends up being a prisoner. And we'll come to that. Nonetheless, Paul is, as I said, our first point, he's committed to what? He's committed to mission. And even joyful on mission, as we'll see in a moment. So, <clears throat> now we come to our second point, would you believe already? Not only is Paul committed to mission, he's also committed to the gospel, which is fundamental to the mission. Wherever it will take him, you know what I'm saying? Paul's commitment to the gospel is evidenced by his commitment to sharing the gospel. As I look up, I see Mikey P in front of me. And how many of you know sharing the gospel... <clears throat> <clears throat> it inevitably ought to lead directly to a person hopefully getting saved. And then that one person hopefully becomes a few people, plural, you know what I'm saying? And then when you get enough of them together, guess what you got? An ecclesia, you know what I'm saying? You got a group of individuals who are separated by God and for God, you know what I'm saying, collectively. It's a group or a gathering of people. It's the, it's, it's the New Testament word for the church. The church. And <clears throat> it's funny because I suppose, what do I mean um, kind of by that? Well, let me try and illustrate it by giving you an, an, a, a, an example using, I say, my story like our story. Um, I kind of went off on a bit of a tangent as I was doing this. And let me invite you in on my little tangent as I keep my eye on the clock. Someone um, shared the gospel with me and my wife, Helen, actually the other way around. Shared the gospel with my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. And, um, and then began, and she kind of like got hit by the gospel, began to share it with me. It's a long story, I, I, I dare not get into it otherwise. Um, <clears throat> and, and that was back in 1989. And the Lord graciously opened our hearts. We then, if you don't know the story, we, we started, uh, uh, so I was, living down at Old Kent, I was living down at Old Kent Road. No, I was living in Fulton Heath at the time. She had a flat down at Old Kent Road, and we used to spend time in each other's, because we're girlfriend and boyfriend, innit? Remember, before we, this is before we got saved, yeah? And, um, and, and <laughs> not trying to give no one no bad advice right here. And, um, <clears throat> and, 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 and what, would, what happened is when we got married, we, you know, like everybody else, you feel like you want your own place. And, and, and neither of our spots were going to work for various different reasons. So what we did was before, let's, let's, let's do like what many, many of us do. Go live with um, one of our in-laws just for a short period of time. <laughs> short, quote-unquote, period of time. Until we can save some money and whatnot. And we did. We, we moved into Helen's dad's who used to live in a place, live in a place called Stockwell. Um, and uh, we moved in there. He, he had loads of room because it was just him one. And um, he went to Australia for six months. And we just got saved, didn't it? So what do you do when you've got a big old space? You just got saved. You're on fire. You know what I'm saying? For Jesus. All you want to do is fellowship and pray and read the Bible. And, 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 and you know, that's all you want to do, right? When you, like, when you first get saved. And, and, and sadly, you know, how things change. But at that particular... So we started a Bible study. And... Um, I don't even know fully what happened apart from the Bible study was so basic. It was like, we were like, you know what? There's 39 books in the Old Testament. There's 27 books in the New Testament, you know. We were like, whoa. It was like, we got excited over the most simplest because I don't know nothing about the Bible. What am I going to teach? You know, I can, at least I can say, I can tell you what's in the contents page. I know that I'm safe. <laughs> I don't know. I just know it was real basic. Um, but but in, amen, brother. But what, what happened was people just started coming to this Bible study. And you know what? In one sense, like this is just a glorified version of the Bible study. You know what I'm saying? With maybe a little bit more content. You know what I'm saying? And a little bit more structure, which, which we, are, we, we are progressively adding to. Praise the Lord. Those of us who were here yesterday. And, 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 but it was just a glorified, and people started to the point where, you know what I'm saying? There was no room in the living room to sit down. 
People had to sit down in the kitchen, which was annexed. People were sitting up the stairway. It was, it was mad. But the Lord was just pouring out his spirit at working. And it was bare young people. Back in them, I could literally say, them days, I was a young man. I was in my early 20s, and so was Helen. And, and it was wonderful, man. It was wonderful. And as we're having this Bible study, all of a sudden, ding dong, one day in comes this brother with his, with his, uh, uh, with, with his, with his newly married wife. You know. No, they weren't even, were they married yet? Uh, they wasn't even married. This brother coming, high top fade with a line through it. <laughs> and with his, with his girl right next to him. And, and he's like, oh, my name's Ephraim. And I'm like, right, I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what are you saying, bro? Come in, man. And in comes Sister Judith, and they, they come in, and, and then a couple next weeks late, next few weeks later, in come these two little short people. And they won't mind me saying they stunk of weed because they'd been bunning in the Fiat Uno that they used to drive. Pastor Patrick and Sarah. <laughs> and they come in, and, 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 we, we, and, and we became friends at that point. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's like, and I said, uh, uh, the rest is history. You know what I'm saying? But I'm going to try to go through a little bit of history, isn't it? Um, and, <clears throat> and so we're there, and we're having fellowship, and we're having prayer. And, and our, our relationships became so strong. And it's funny, because at that time, we're all at different churches. I wish I could have time to get into it, but I ain't got time. We're all at different churches, and then we all ended up getting to one church, the same church. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, oh, my gosh. Uh, any of you guys remember the name of that church? Because some of you are actually sitting in the room. It was called CCF, Commonwealth Christian Fellowship. We used to meet up in, the, up, in, um, up in Wigmore Street originally at the hotel, and then we moved to North Audley Street, just off Oxford Street. And um, there, there's a lot I could say about that. Apart from that, let me keep it moving by saying, what we began to experience at that time in terms of God pouring out his spirit happened also in my place of work. So some of you know that I'm a postman. I was a postman for 17 years working in the Royal Mail down at Nine Elms Lane. That's where I met Helen. You know what I mean? And while we were working there, <clears throat> someone shared the gospel with her. As I said, she shared the gospel with me and we became Christians. God was pouring out his spirit in the post office because a batch of us got saved. Previous to me becoming a Christian, Karen and her husband, Ian, who we actually previously had gone to a Bible study in Brixton with Linford and Courtney and the rest of them. And they, oh, my gosh. Um, this, but this is 1989. 1989, 1990. And <clears throat> or 1989, previous to that. No, I got saved in 1989. I got married in 1990. That's right. And people in the post office just started getting saved left, right, and center. Um, Brian Labode. You guys know Brian. used to be here. He's at Calvary Chapel East now. Um, Peter Henry, whose sister later on joined us. Um, Anne-Marie Henry. I don't know if she's here. Um, and, and, and then it's like, I remember Pierre Briscoe, who went with me to St. Mark's, where we all got saved, saved together. Pierre, who married Veronica. And then and all of us in the, in the same post office. And then Carl Neal, the friend of mine who goes to Calvary Chapel um, Docklands. He was, he, he was a postman at Borough, Southeast One, near, Elephant and, near, near the Old Kent Road. And Dennis Scott, and, and Dennis Marshall, and Ed and Terry, and... All of them managers got saved. We all got saved at the same time. I was in, do you not remember COC? Bookshop. Farringdon, where, where the flyover is. I was, I was in COC one day looking, on, looking for some books. And back in them days, like chick tracks were really popular. And, and I looked over the, the top of the, the bookshelf. And my eyes caught this other guy's eyes. Like we joke about it. You know and I'm saying it's kind of like we quote unquote fell in love. <laughs> as Christian brothers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, it's br bromance. That's what it was. And he, and, and he had, I had my post office uniform on. He had his post office uniform. We're like, oh, you know what I'm saying? And, and we became friends from that moment, realizing that we both got saved at the same time in two different posts. Of, I'm telling you, the Lord was pouring out his spirit in such a wonderful way. It was, it was incredible. Revival. And, and, and it's funny because whilst revival was taking place in the Royal Mail, revival was taking place in McDonald's. Neil, Pastor Neil, who, who, who runs our children's ministry, along with his wife, 
cameo. You know what I meant? McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's. And the, both of them got saved there. And it's funny because, because Neil, who um, married Millie, actually was connected to Mark McDonald because them and they all went to college together. You know what I'm saying? Learning computers and that stuff. You know what I'm saying? And Ambrose, Ambrose and, and, and what's the other brother name with the, with the glasses? It was Ambrose and who's the other brother? Oh yeah, Kevin LeBeau, but there was another guy with a beard. I forget his name though. Maybe he never wore glasses. Tony, Tony Baden, Tony Baden. Wow. And, 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 and just people just, just, just getting saved, just left, right, and center. And I remember me and Pastor Eben, we was doing music. We was part of this group called Worshipping Warriors. And back then, that's where we met, linked up Shabazz. And that's where we met Richard Thomas, if Rich is in the room. You know what I'm saying? If I, if I remember rightly, roughly. I remember, I, remember, I, remember when, I remember when Harriet, I remember when, she's not here today. I remember, because of the, 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 you know, the, um, the, the marathon, the marathon mashup her thing. So she's working from home today. I remember when Harriet phoned me and said, hello, um, my name's Harriet. Um, can I speak to one of the pastors, please? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, one, I'm Robert. I'm one of the... She's like, oh, I'm looking for the Bible study that I heard about. Uh, da, 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 da. And then the, the, the following Friday night, here comes Harriet. With her, and then a couple of weeks later, with her sister, Calpurnia. And back, that, was, that was back in the day when we had Friday night Bible study. Remember what we used to call it? Friday feeling. You know what I'm saying? Friday night flavor. It was a couple of them. Again, again, you can, you can, you can sense the, 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 how wonderful it was in our minds. Oh, brother, there was a, there was a joy. There was, there was an authentic, there was an authentic joy, my brother. And 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 then it's crazy because it was around about. It was roughly maybe a little bit after that. I met Ben, because it was Harry and Cal that introduced us to Ben. Ben started coming and getting in fellowship, and then linked up with Jason. The stories are too long. Jason O'Shea, and then here comes Jason, becomes a part of the church, and then he brings his sister, Makushla. You know what I'm saying? And then Makushla comes with her sons, Courtney, Malachi, and Levi, and they're, and they're all in children's ministry, remember? Along with Alicia. They, they was here a couple of weeks ago, Alicia D, uh, Alicia Simone and D, along with my Renee and, and Jordan, my son, with, with Kian and Chloe, who, uh, 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 along with Joel and, 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 and Zach, and then Jordan Fife and Mia. Um, it was back in them days that Dwayne Triumph used to come to our church. Remember them days? And Jahaziel. And, and, and Jahazia was the one that introduced Tim Grimwade, who I don't think he's here today, you know what I'm saying? And then Tim came along and, 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 and ended up hollering at Ella, and, 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 and the rest is history, right? The rest is YouTube history. It's like the whole tribe of them. Man. And at that time, we were friends with a guy called Duncan Forbes. You know what I'm saying? And Duncan used to attend our church at that time. And then he was living quay over in Roehampton, so he had to do his thing. And that's where we met Paul Daper, sitting right here on the front row. We were just reminiscing about it a couple of days ago. That was, that was back in the late 90s. Oh, yeah. When we first met you, P. And then, and then, and then, and then, and at that time, we, we were, we were kind of in the same church. We, we, at that we had already then by that time transitioned to Calvary Chapel Westminster from CCF that is at least myself Pastor in Pastor P and <clears throat> moving to Calvary Chapel Westminster really kind of changed a lot for us it was quite groundbreaking we met Arthur and Sue McBryant and then here comes Tim and his sister Debbie remember I remember when Tim used to be a te like, like 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 early teenager riding skateboard you know what I'm saying and then tutus later on you know, again, too much. I just want to keep moving through the history. You know what I'm saying? It's like, did I mention at the time that obviously we had those youngsters in children's ministry? Beatrice was was with us. You know what I'm saying? As a as a as a, as a teenager, Beatrice must have been about ten. You weren't even te never even hit teenage yet. Beatrice. 
Remember Jevon and Pam? Around about that time, I remember Mr. Carnegie, I think, joining us. And I'm saying it was around about that time, obviously back, back at the Bible, we were running the Bible study. Our pastor said, all right, you guys have been running the Bible study now for a while. You know what's next? We're like, what do you mean? I'm, me and Pastor E, right, you know, we used to do Christian rap, right? We had one song, and no matter where we went, everybody would always ask us to do this song, and it was called Revolver. And there was a camp in California, because we were kind of Calvary Chapel family. They invited us to go to, to California and to do a youth camp, and they called the youth camp Revolver. And we're there, and we were sitting on the top of this mountain in a place called Big Bear, in the San Bernardino Mountains, sitting up there. And our pastor said to us, guys, you know what's next, isn't it? We're like, what do you mean? He said, you guys have been doing a Bible study, but you now need to plant a church. We went, what? <laughs> no, no, bro. No, no, that's not going to happen. And me and Pastor E come back on the plane, chit-chatting, whatever. No, 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 no. I don't know what my man's smoking. Come back. Spoke to Pastor P. And I remember we were sitting in, in I don't, I, Pastor, I can't remember if we were in your golf or in Patrick's golf, in P's golf. So P must have been in the driving seat. Pastor E was in the front. I'm in the back. And we're not pastors at this point. Although we're shepherding. And uh, we're like, we're talking, planting this church. Nah, man. There ain't no way we're planting. I said, I'm not planting no church. I'm sure Pastor E said the same. Pastor P said the same. And, you know, provocatively, it just came to us. We said, you know what? Do you think maybe, you think, you think possibly we could maybe do it together? It's like we're doing the Bible study together, and we were. We started in the book of Luke. You know what I'm saying? I done chapter one, Pastor E done chapter two, Pastor P done chapter three, then I done chapter four. We was running it like that together. And, he, and, and Brian said, he said, why don't you not just plant the church together? And we, we breathed in deeply, you know what I'm saying? And like Moses, you know what I'm saying? We were kind of, I, I don't want to say we were dragged kicking and screaming into the ministry, but... You know what I mean? We knew our shortcomings and we knew our weaknesses. It was only the grace of God that encouraged us. And if I'm honest, you know what I'm saying? There would be no Ecclesia, previously Calvary Chapel, South London, if it was down to me. You know what I'm saying? It was only the encouragement of these brothers. And I would like to think we mutually encourage one another, as we have done over the years. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and we planted a church in 2003. And I remember at the time, we, we started in the adventure playground at Dockenham Hill. And it's funny, and it? The pastor, he's gone back there and replanted the church back there. We moved from there. And before we went to Charter, you know where we were? Goldsmiths College. So there's Carleen. She knows. You know what I'm saying? Because it was around about that time. And mummy. In comes one day, in comes this lady. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> She, oh my God, it, it, was like, it was like wedding, it was like Nigerian wedding. In comes Missy. <laughs> and Bertram. <laughs> Into, where we, were in, we were just meeting in a, probably a room about this size in Goldsmith's I remember, I remember. And, and, and uh, uh, memory fails me, innit? But was it around about that same time that, like, I think about them girls, I think about they're sitting together, Linda. You know what I'm saying, and you know what I'm saying, and 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 Joyce, you know Sylvia. Uh, again, I I I I shouldn't be naming names because as I'm naming names, I know I'm going to be leaving people out. But you, you, bear with me, I beg you. You know what I mean? And <clears throat> and it was again about that time. I think Julian, also known as Gamma, and and Mama Shirley, and again obviously Beatrice. Um, I mentioned because I just wanted to put her in that batch with all them youths, all them kids at the time. Um, and the, here, come, here come the whole Olomegbon tribe, you know what I'm saying, at the time, the whole family, smaller back then, although substantial, you know what I'm saying, but even bigger now, right, the Olomegbon family, you know, huh. and there's Brent, my man, come, my man turned up at the right time, there's Brent, and then Jevon, um, them man, they come along, and um, I think they came over from the south country, or maybe they was up in... I think maybe in Birmingham going to school or something. Gloucester, that's where they originally come from, but I, th I think Jevon was up in. And then Jimmy and Auntie Justina and Zainab ran about. Uh, we, had, we had by that time now moved to Dulwich and we were at charter school. And uh, again, just to reel off something, it was about that time that Sam and Melissa, you know what I'm saying, Carew's, they came, they cruised into the church. And I remember Anu, because Melissa and Anu are brethren. So here comes Anu. 
somehow, you know what I mean? And, and again, around about that time, remember the New Direction crew? So GP, Steve, and Isaac, and um, Prince, and, um, and then obviously eventually Emma, and Daniel Serene, and, and, and Liz. I couldn't remember Liz's name. Liz, and S, bruh, thank you, and S.O., and about that time, we were doing the, the Notting Hill Carnival year after year, and it was growing, and Notting Hill Carnival become God Corner, and it was just a very, very, you know what I'm saying, substantial outreach that we used to do, and then boom, Sammy G, and I'm saying, two, two, Sammy G moved from Birmingham, Sammy G's in our church, and I'm saying, and then, and then comes along the sisters, Abimaro, and you know what I'm saying, and, and, and Laquena, you know what I'm saying, and Sammy just grabbed one of them, innit? And, um... <laughs> Got married. Sammy got married to, to one of them. <laughs> forgive, forgive me. Forgive the vernacular. Um, and, 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 and it was round about that time. I'm so glad she's here today. Where's Jenny? Jenny. You know what I'm oh, you got to holler and let, let her know that I, 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 shout, I gave her a shout out. Jenny, and Jenny came from Birmingham. You know and I'm saying Sammy come from Birmingham. I guess who else come from Birmingham? I remember when Phil got saved at the Bible study at Mark's house. Remember that, Pete? Richie, remember that, bruv? He doesn't like to... Oh, there's a difference between Dudley and Birmingham. Any Midlands are Midlands. <laughs> Man. Then Becky. Again, timing is just perfect. Becky and Crystal and Kay. You know what I'm saying? Around about that time when we was over in, in Dulwich and then Zebedee. I'm, I'm, I can't forget when Zebedee came into Because, you know, Zebedee's a unique brother. <laughs> Zebedee come bopping it. And Zebedee had his collars up. Yeah, remember that time there? <laughs> Zebedee come with his collars up, boy, with his polo shirt. Yo. Well spoken. You know what I'm saying? Now, oh my gosh. <laughs> Zebedee's collars are like this. Two, ki two kids later, you know. <laughs> No, I can't even joke. Yesterday, he had a fresh trim yesterday. So, so big up, Zebedee, big up, bro. Myself and Pastor E was working at a school just up the road. Used to be called, well, it's now called St. Matthew Academy. Used to be called St. Joseph Academy, Green Blazers. They, they, the youths were banned from the shopping center. The school was on special measures for 11 years. Me and Pastor E was working in that school. Mads, that's the next long. Bro, we got to write a book, you know, bro. We used to work in that school and art teacher... Antonelle Regis, and I'm saying, I don't know if she's here today. She teach, bless, still teaching. She's teaching in the church. She used to teach art. Um, Elijah. Eli you, like, you guys know Elijah. Elijah was a student at SJA that we used to teach. Mad thing. Sean Benson, mad thing. St. Augustine's. Married to Jenny. Mason. Mason, as he... Oh my gosh. Mikey P and Denise. Remember when we dedicated the kids? Remember at the adventure, we had a big party at the adventure. Mad. Now, look, sharing the gospel inevitably will see an individual changed. And that individual we're hoping. If the gospel is communicated, maybe not immediately, maybe not instantly, but progressively, the one, that person then becomes two, becomes three, becomes four, becomes a group, becomes, look at us, becomes a church. Why? Because people are committed, amen, because people are committed to the mission and committed to the gospel. Did you know that the gentleman who spoke to my wife, Helen, back in 1987, he began to speak to her. Three years he was talking to her. She weren't interested. He was talking to her about Jesus. She said, Harry, I smoke drugs. I have sex with my boyfriend. I get drunk. Jesus ain't going to want nothing to do with me. And that man persisted patiently to share the good news with my girlfriend. I hate to say it wasn't even what he said, although I believe it was. It was her friend that got saved that she used to bun with. Her friend got saved called Bertie, and he 
started to go to church. And that caused her to say, mm -mm, maybe I need to start thinking about this Jesus thing a bit more seriously. And she started going to church and she stopped smoking, stopped drinking, stopped raving. And then turned around to me and said, Robert, I know the kids are present. No more physical interaction. I was like, what? Now that's how I, that's what led to me. That's, that was the trailer breadcrumbs that led to me getting saved. And, I'm, and that gentleman that spoke to Helen, check it. I know some of you know this, right? But for some of you, it's going to be a punchline. The gentleman that spoke to Helen back in 1987 worked for London City Mission. Mad. We kind of come full circle. And for those of you who don't know, this is London City Mission building that we as a church graciously get to, get to use seven days a week, 24 hours a, a day. Um, can even sublet the building, um, but it's not free. We have to pay for it still. We're, we're renting it, but it's a blessing. Um, see, that's what, that's what happens when individuals get on mission and get serious and committed to the gospel. This is what happens, and that's what we're seeing begin to happen here in Philippi, starting with a lady called Lydia. In Acts chapter 16, it says, On the Sabbath, we, that's Paul and Silas, right? We went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. If you know anything about Paul, the first place he normally would go to when he goes anywhere is the synagogue. You know what I'm saying? But in Philippi, it's so dead, they don't even have a synagogue. And all you need is 10, you know what I'm saying, committed Jewish men to have a synagogue. You don't even have that here. And lo and behold, we do have something. And it says, and we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. It's like the women are the most godly in the whole of the city. You know what I'm saying? And they're here. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. Like she was a businesswoman, if you like. Do you know what I'm saying? And she was quite well to do. As she, Lydia, listened to us, the Lord did what he did to us, but he, he did this previous because this was 2,000 years ago. The Lord opened her heart, and she accepted, notice, what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guests. Now, remember, Luke's writing, so it's Luke, Paul, Silas, and Amandem, right, the team. And she says, be my guest. If you agree that I am a true believer in, in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. It's been argued that this is the first place that the new church in Philippi met for the first time. This is where it potentially started. The Lord, and notice, the Lord opened her heart and Lydia opened her home. Man, I remember like, it's like... Uh, there's something special about meeting from house to house, you know what I'm saying, and fellowshipping in homes that, and, and, and enjoying that, again, that authentic joy. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to the gospel. And that because someone was willing to share the gospel with her. Because Silas and Paul were committed to the gospel. And the next person that gets affected by the mission, by the gospel, or be indirectly, is a slave girl. I mean, we talked about revival in the post office, post office revival in, in McDonald's. There's revival now in Philippi, because in verse 16, it says, One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, right, maybe that same place again, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell us to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated. And I remember reading this like back in the day, like, why would he be exasperated? My girl's out there. She's like, she's on it with them. And I'm, she's preaching the gospel with them. Hmm. Paul got exasperated, um, so much so that he turned and said to the demon within her, I mean, I would have asked her to come join LCM. You know what I'm saying? It's like Paul turned to the demon that was in her, and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Now, this slave girl today, if you like, could be seen as like an asylum seeker, like a trafficked sex worker. You know what I'm saying? She's obviously being used and abused, isn't she? Contrasting to Lydia, 
Lydia owns her own house. She's running her own business. If you're selling, if you're a seller of purple, purple's like, what's that brand up in the West End? You're going to Liberty. You know Liberty? We know about Liberty. Like everything in the shop is purple. I think. You know what I mean? Purple was expensive. She was Lydia was Lydia had a designer, like she was selling the boutons. That's Lydia. Complete contrast to this slave girl. Can you see that? This slave girl, she doesn't own anything. Rather, she is owned. Lydia's got a property. This slave girl is property, right? Bringing her owner's profit. But look, not anymore. God graciously delivers her, sets her free from invisible demonic strongholds and breaks the chains of her bondage. Just like he did with you and me, amen? Can you remember when you first saw the light? And the burdens of your heart rolled away. It was then by faith I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. At the cross. At the cross. This slave girl, I would suggest, is no doubt happy. And genuinely full of joy. But her slave owners are far from happy. Picking up in verse 19. It says, her masters, their hope of wealth um, was now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in, they say, the whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. He says, they are teaching customs that are illegal for us, as, for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. My man put them in like in the deep, like solitary confinement. Well, maybe not solitary confinement, but in the deepest, darkest part of the dungeon, right? Like I said, Paul was quite familiar with life behind bars, yet still committed to mission yet still committed to the gospel. And it's funny, it's one thing responding with joy when, when you're up in Lydia's house, isn't it? Enjoying good food and fellowship. But what happens when you end up being beaten with rods and in prison? What happens when you get bombed in Sri Lanka? See, apart from God's grace, I don't think I would respond well in these circumstances apart from God's grace. How about you? But notice, verse 16. This is incredible, right? Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Notice, they weren't sulking, but singing. They weren't, they weren't pouting, but praising. Wow. Committed to mission, you know. Committed to, to, committed, to, committed to the gospel. And not only committed to the gospel and com committed to mission, but joyful in their commitment to mission and joyful in their commitment to the gospel. Think about our sister going through a challenging time right now. I never, ever not see her with a smile on her face. Yet she's having treatment for cancer. Here encouraging others. What? I tell you, there's a lot of things that, that seem impressive. Like one of the things that the faith kind of prosperity movement want to do is, I remember I had a friend who was a pastor and every time you saw him, he was designer head to toe. And, I, I, and I'm like, not just Nike and Adidas. And I'm saying, like, the most expensive wares you can think of. And I was like, bro, what's with that? And he's, I can't even name the car he's dri he drives because some of you may know. And if somebody's listening online, they might know. But not, not any and any car, innit? Not any and any big car. Not any and any four by four, you know. And um, I was like, bro, and he said, he said, Rob, I've got to do it like this, because when I do it like this, when others who are not Christians look at me, 
You know what I'm saying? They're encouraged to trust in Jesus. And I'm, I've learned over the years that that's not really a good advert f- for the gospel. I'm not saying that you can't wear nice clothes. I mean, I, I'll be a hypocrite. I mean, all right, it's only Penguin and Clarks, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, <laughs> you know I'm saying? But, but you know what's a powerful witness for the gospel? When someone's going through what you look at and you think, oh, Lord, please don't ever let me have to go through that. You know what I'm saying? And they're still smiling. You know what I'm saying? They're still walking in a straight line. You know what I'm saying? They're there in being an encouragement to others. You think, what? That to me is a much more powerful witness. Because really, honestly, that's where people live. This fake social media, you know, 99th picture that I took, lifestyle ain't real. That's not real. The eyebrows, are, they're fake. You know what I'm saying? The eyelashes, are f- it's like it's not real, right? And that's, all right, I'm having a go at the ladies. That don't, come on now. That don't mean you can't wear eyelashes, right? It's, but any of you man who tell me that you want to go and get, what are, what are them implants in your chest? I would have an issue with that. You know what I'm saying? Them implant business and, you know what I mean? I'm talking about men. I'm not talking, sorry, I'm not talking about, let me just clarify. I'm not talking about women. I'm talking about, I picked on the ladies. I'm picking on, nah, picking on the men. I see some man put, get implants because they want their chest to look buff. Really? How did I get onto that? Um, no, honestly, genuinely, how did I get? I'm saying, what's more powerful? What is more powerful is somebody going through difficulty, because that's really where people live. When they switch off their phone, their phone dies, right? And, or they come off their social media, like, this is where people, and, and that for me, sis, Fiona, wow. Wow, and I mean, to have that and to have authentic joy. See, this is beginning to identify this authentic joy. And this is the potential experience of the believer which is wonderfully highlighted in the letter that we're going to look at to these very Philippians, these individuals living in Philippi, and also to us. Paul and Silas are believers who are committed to mission. They're committed to the gospel, but they're also joyful on mission and joyful in the gospel. Have I got time? Would you bear with me for just five more minutes? (laughs) man said no. Brother, it feels like back in the front room, for real. Man said, nah, mate. I'm not bearing with you. So if I see you walking out, then, brother, I know. I know, innit? These men, Paul and Silas, they're like that blessed man in Psalm 1. They're like that tree in Psalm 1. You know what I'm saying? Notice how this commitment to the mission, to the gospel, continues to bring life, continues to change lives, and continues to bear fruit. Acts 16 ain't finished yet. Don't, don't miss the end of verse 25. It says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And notice, and the other prisoners were listening. Notice that we don't exist in a vacuum. You know what I'm saying? Other people are looking at our lives and they're taking notes, right? <laughs> Just waiting for us to stumble, boy. But notice, not only are the other prisoners listening, guess who else is listening to Paul and Silas praying, you know? And like, we look at that, we're like, what? Guess who else is looking at that and saying, what? God himself. Verse 26 says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Wow. See, the prisoners, they were, but they weren't the only ones to see and to listen to what was happening. God noticed, obviously, he responds by this incredible intervention, but he wasn't the only one to respond. Look at verse 27. The jailer 
woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself because he knows that, oh my gosh, if all the prisoners them are left and I'm, and, and I'm the one that's supposed to be responsible, how many, so I might as well just finish it now, innit? Who knows? They're going to hang, draw, and quarter me. Let me just finish it, innit? Quickly. That's how he feels. Commit suicide. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all still here. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights like he can't believe it and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You'd be like, wait a minute. This looked like some kind of mad role reversal. You know what I mean? It's like in a matter of seconds as well. Maybe it was the earthquake that had something to do with it. You know what I'm saying? It's like... And such is the power of God when it's released in, in however way, when God's mission, when, when the gospel, you know what I'm saying, when it impacts the life of a sinner, the jailer's like, whatever you, like, whatever you man's got, I want it. I need it. How can I get it? My man asks a specific question. Notice, what must I do to be saved? It makes me wonder if Paul and Silas had already been speaking to him previously. Like when they were, like when my man was going on bad with them, marching them in, you know, they're like, they're sharing the gospel with my man. You know what I mean? Like, man, you, you, Bridget, you think you're hard now? It's all right. Wait, wait till judgment day, isn't it? No, they, they never preached the gospel like that. They never preached the gospel like that. <laughs> but I suspect they must have been speaking to him because how did he get, the, where did he get that from? You know what I'm saying? My man's ready for salvation now, you know. He, he weren't on it before. He's, and notice, he's asking for it with respect. My man's like, sirs. The text goes on. Robert, keep it moving. Verse 31. They replied in, in, to his question of, what must I do to be saved? <clears throat> they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. They never said you have to say five Our Fathers and ten El Hail Marys. You know what I'm saying? They never said you've got to go on no pilgrimage. It's like, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's Romans 10, isn't it? If you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And, <clears throat> and they shared, and, it, and it's funny because there's more to it than just that. And it says, verse 32, they shared the word of the Lord with him. You know what I'm saying? They, they inducted him properly. They catechized him. They discipled him, if you like. And with all who lived in his household, so not only does he get saved and impacted by the gospel, the man they're on mission and they're seeing the fruit of that mission, his whole household gets saved. And I teach this another time in another way and say that, you know what I'm saying? The t did you note the time of the night that, that they went back to the house? It was midnight. And it says all of, the, all of the family gets saved and they get baptized in the middle of the night. You know, it's only dad can go in the house and mash up the house and turn up, turn up the house. Everybody get up. Everybody wake up. Pull off the quilt and, you know what I mean? Mom, come, let's rustle up some food in the kitchen. And, you know what I'm saying? Oh, only dad can do that. And, and, and one of the points I make when I, when I teach this otherwise is just how important it is for dad. How important it is. Obviously, it's important for ladies. It's important for kids to get saved. But you know what? The statistics show that if if the man in the house, that's even, that's even if he's in the house, a lie? You know what I'm saying? If the man in the house, if God gets his heart, how it transforms the whole family. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not given, it's not guaranteed, but the fellas, may God help us, isn't it? May God help us to be faithful to our wives. May God help us, even though we don't fully know how to raise our kids, we're there. Crying out to the Lord for help, drawing for next man and saying, Bridget, how you do this thing? You know what I mean? Help, help a man out here. You know what I mean? Like, and the, how God can use you, you know what I'm saying, as a man. And, and I know, you know what I mean, as, the, as I'm saying this, all the, all the ladies are saying, yes, yeah. I wanted to say to a young lady the other day who's, Falling in and out of love every minute. One guy, this guy, that guy. And I understand it, innit? Because I'm one of the guys back in the past that was messing her about in the past. You know what I'm saying? Can I get a witness, fellas? You know what I'm saying? And just, just here, just, and, and, sh and, and, and I was like, I was like, sis, what kind of man do you want? Because 
you can't seem to find him. And I'm like, sis, just give me three things that you're looking for. And you know what? The young lady didn't even know what she was looking for. Can't even articulate the three things. And I'm saying, you know what? Like, being a godly man, you're the answer to the ten things on our list. And I mean, the three plus other things that she, and I'm saying, and I'm saying, God help us. And I'm saying, God help us as married men. And I'm God help you, you're a single man. Remember, you're a, you're a, um, you're a, what did I call it the other day? Um, not secret weapon. Yeah, exocet missile. It's not, that's not even what I was thinking, but oh, I can't remember. I can't remember what it was, but you know what I'm saying? It's like in the hand of the enemy, you know what I'm saying? You're a dangerous weapon. I'm a dangerous weapon in the hand of the enemy. But in the hand of the Lord, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, Vody Bockham's got a good book. I recommend all the, all the men to read it. Because it's called, What You Must Be If You Want to Marry My Daughter. Good book. Four Ps. I won't tell you what they are about what you need to be. But you think it's just the men that need to read that? Ladies, you need to read it too. So that you know what to look for. So when I say to you, give me three things. You can give me four. In terms of what you're looking for. So you know to spot him. So you know, you, you know who he ain't when he turns up. And you know who he is and how to spot him when he does come. Amen? Amen. All right. Last set of verses and then we're done. So um, the man asks a specific question in it. He says, what must I do to be saved? And God saves him and transforms him. And as a result changes the whole of the household. Praise the Lord. Where was I? Um, verse 33. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Now, he was the one that probably inflicted the wounds, possibly part of the crew anyway that did that. Now he's bathing them. He's, he's, he's restoring and helping and healing them. You see how a man is, man ain't out of road licking down man. Man's trying to help man. Man's trying to come alongside man. Man, you know what I'm saying, put his arm around man. Man, <laughs> man. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. It looks like he's even in the kitchen now. And he and his entire household, notice what they did. See, they rejoiced. There's something about Philippi and joy, you know what I'm saying, that's going to come out in this book as we go through it by God's grace. They rejoice because they all believed in. Everyone's rejoicing. Man, them who's on the mission, and I'm saying they're rejoicing in the gospel. And now people who have been affected by the mission and the gospel, they themselves are rejoicing. What with? With this authentic joy. Can I invite the team to come so I can pray? <clears throat> Boy. Heavenly Father. I can't lie. I think about, Lord, what I lack as a believer, as a Christian, as a husband, um, as a father, as a pastor. Lord, I'm confronted. I'm overwhelmed with my lack, Lord. And yet, I'm really encouraged because I'm convinced that I can't do it, Lord. I can't do none of them things. I can't be none of them things in the way that I, and not even that I ought to, that I want to. Amen. Apart from your grace, apart from your power at work in me. And Father, I thank you that for all of us, you provide, you give us the provision, Lord. I thank you that Galatians talks about the gifts of the Spirit, sorry, the fruit of the Spirit. That immediately encourages me because it's like you're saying, I know you ain't got it, Robert. It's all right, but I got it. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. 
temperance, which is self-control. Lord, Lord, be like, I got it. I got it for you, Robert, as an individual. I got it for I got it for Pastor E. I got it for Pastor Bircher and Pastor Neil and the other pastors who are here and, and for the new deacons that are coming on board and the new council that are going to be taking responsibility and helping in the infrastructure of us as a church. And you, Lord, you say you got it for every single one of us, every single person in the building, Lord, you're able to provide for effervescently, overwhelmingly. You ain't got no lack. And we can, and we can get what we don't have. Lord, you said, son, daughter, if you, want, if you want fish, you think I'm going to give you a serpent? You want bread, you think I'm going to give you a stone? Father, help us. Help us when we're confronted, Lord, with those, in those, those moments, those times when we can't cope, Lord. I see it, Lord. I see it in the text, Lord. I see it in, in a handful of individuals, but, Lord, more often than not, when I look at my own life, Lord, I see, I see the work of the flesh. I see anger and bitterness and hatred and jealousy. That's what I see more often than not, Lord, in my own life. Yet, Lord, I know that you're saying that's not my portion. That's not our portion, you want us as your children to be like you. You want, us, you want us as kids to be like our dad. So, Lord, we want this authentic joy. I don't want to come into church and just be smiling because of a face. Lord, I genuinely, when my brothers and my sister holler at me, I want to say, yeah, yeah. I want to have that genuine rich fellowship, Lord, where we're encouraging one another, Lord. To the point where we feel like, yeah, I can, I can face tomorrow. Literally, I can face Monday more. I can go into work where I got nothing but drama. And I can genuinely walk into that environment with authentic joy. Father, help us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.